Hi everyone, I'm JJ Hornblass and welcome to Fintech Unfiltered from Bank Innovation, the leading digital news service on uh, banking technology and fintech. This is our weekly wrap on what's happening in banking innovation this week. Before beginning, uh, a great thanks go out to our bank innovation advertisers, Mambu, Cardlinks, and OneSpan for their support. So thank you very much to them. And I'm pleased to be joined uh, by Bianca Chan um, and Rick Morgan from Bank Innovation. Hello to you both. It is Friday, uh, December 4, 2020. Uh, this week, uh, the United Kingdom was the first nation to approve a coronavirus vaccine. Vaccinations in uh, Great Britain are expected to begin within days. Uh, President-elect Biden named several members of his economic team this week, and they include uh, Janet Yellen as his uh, Treasury Secretary nominee, Neera Tandon, uh, who is head of the Think Tank Center for American Progress, to be his director of the Office of Management and Budget, Cecilia Rouse, uh, Princeton University labor economist, as his choice to be a chairwoman of the Council of Economic Advisors, Wally Adeyemo, um, who was an economic advisor to the Obama, Obama administration to be uh, Ms. Yellen's top deputy, and Jared Bernstein and Heather Boucher as members of the um, Council of Economic Advisors alongside Ms. Rausch. Uh, also this week, Salesforce announced that it would acquire Slack for $27.7 billion, while Standard & Poor's said it would acquire IHS Market for $44 billion. Um, this week, a COVID relief bill, bill seemed to be closer to reality um, as cases continue to surge nationwide. And in South Africa, on Tuesday night, the Powerball drawing featured the numbers five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And the Powerball was, yes, you guessed it, 10. The South African Lottery Commission said an internal investigation confirmed that no fraud had occurred in this drawing, in case you were wondering. For us, our news coverage uh, centered around, uh, really uh, highlighted two separate, um, uh, it, it had two separate highlights. One was uh, an interview that we did with Scott Chase, who is the uh, truest uh, chief information officer. Um, several insights into truest's strategy, um, Bianca, um, what struck you mo as most significant about the truest strategy, you know, post the BB&T SunTrust merger? Yeah, so Scott mostly talked about, he, he's the guy who's in charge of actually overseeing the day-to-day -day operation of the merger and also just the, the overall execution of it as well. And he, he mentioned to us that as they are going through this merger, they're taking every step they can to modernize their, uh, their system. So that is the infrastructure. So how, how the tech is set up and also uh, the architecture. Um, and so the, there's two kind of interesting arms to this. The, the modernizing of the 
architecture is really what he said comes down to rewriting of the applications with, with APIs. So uh, creating more API enablement across Truist's systems, um, which basically comes down to how Truist connects with other systems, like external systems, and then also internally into, you know, like its core deposit platform, let's say, or, or its mainframe. Um, modernizing of the infrastructure, he spoke about really um, automation efforts around the software engineering and software development processes at Truist. Ken Meyer at BAS, Bank Automation Summit, spoke about how uh, Truist is hiring more of its own software engineering talent. And you can see how they're really kind of putting a lot of focus on making that more of a streamlined approach. So he talked about two different principles. Um, one is called CICD and the other one is called DevOps. And what they really come down to is, well, CICD stands for continuous integration, continuous delivery. And it's a way of kind of um, automating and also monitoring application uh, testing, development, and then also pushing that through, um, through testing environments, development environments, all the way through to production. Uh, and then DevOps is complementary to that. It's kind of combining development teams with operational teams and having um, that kind of shared responsibility between them to ensure just, you know, the smooth delivery of new code changes and also the monitoring of that. So it's really interesting to see. Did you get a sense, I mean, this is, you know, clearly like the most uh, significant merger in banking in recent years and certainly the most significant uh, banking merger uh, this year. So, I mean, did you get a sense for timing and, you know, just kind of how far along they are in this more kind of automated and, and open banking kind of technology posture? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so currently, so Truist has been kind of modernizing its own backend tech for some years now. It's really a combination of the legacy banks, SunTrust and BB&T. Currently, they're about 50% of their backend systems are API enabled. And when they're through the end of this merger, Scott had mentioned in a few years from now, it, it should they should reach two thirds um, of their systems being API enabled. So that kind of gives us somewhat of a sense um, he did say they were being opportunistic in this approach. They're not just, you know, trying to uh, make their systems API enabled just for the sake of it. They're, they're doing it with purpose. So he did say um, during the call that they're probably never going to reach 100% of API enablement, and it's not something that they want to do either. Um, I mean, how does that rank or how does that, that sort of jive with what you've seen at other financials? This is both to to both of you, I mean, is that, um, is the 50% API enabled or two thirds, it, it, where does that stand on the spectrum uh, of uh, kind of open banking enabled uh, financial institutions? I think it really depends on the size of the institution and kind of like how innovation forward they're thinking. I think for the size of Truist and the, and you know, the age of the two legacy banks that make it up, I think it's pretty uh, impressive to be honest. Yeah. And also, you know, these large banks that um, have the technology abilities to, to create a more API enabled system. Um, obviously they're an advantage compared to maybe a smaller bank that might not have the, uh, the resources in-house to build something like that. They're more dependent on the core providers to, to give them that technology. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that makes it a, a more of a struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Rick, this week you the second thing that we kind of featured this week was was a, a, a really a, a deep look into new ways that banks are uh, processing customer feedback and then also expressing you know a presenting user experience. Um, what what are some of the key highlights from that um, that reporting endeavor that you undertook? Yeah, I found it interesting just how much stock banks are placing in qualitative data and not just quantitative data. So feedback through the app store, feedback through customer service channels, um, in addition to the hard, you know, quantitative data is still important, but you hear a lot about banks, you know, bringing customers in to do desirability testing where they look at the app and they just list emotions or they pick from a group of emotions uh, in terms of how it makes them feel. Um, you see banks bringing in customers to actually help them out with card sorting uh, or like mapping out the customer journey with, you know, post-it notes. Um, and that premium on um, emotion and how that makes you feel is informing a lot of what banks do. In addition to the obviously, you know, important hard data and those, you know, um, dwell time, um, you know, monthly active users, number of times a, a user opens an app per month, that's still important, but tying in that, um, that qualitative data is, is becoming increasingly important. So why, why? I mean, doesn't the bottom line really matter, right? Doesn't the quantitative uh, performance really matter in terms of consumption of banking products and, and, and even time and so on? But what, what is the, I mean, we want a, the banking to be emotional yeah, I mean, that's an interesting conundrum because uh, banking by its nature is transactional. You don't go into a banking app to, you know, scroll through feeds or anything like that. You go there to pay bills. You go there to check on your balances. So that, that hard data in terms of uh, how you use the bank on a consistent basis probably still is uh, a major driver at banks. And, you know, banks, look, they still mention this and they, they still talk about how important it is. And I think that probably is... Um, the gold standard in a lot of ways, but I think it's just, um, I don't think qualitative data is replacing quantitative data. I think it's just, um, it's complementing it and they're trying to use it in a way that makes the app a little bit more engaging um, and a little bit more inviting. Which makes sense also because you hear a lot about banks talk about, you know, we want to be there where our customers are and, it, and you know, we want to be embedding our, our experiences into where our customers are spending their time. So it makes sense that as banking kind of makes this move almost outside of what traditional just transactional banking is, it kind of makes sense that they'd have more of this emphasis on like lifestyle approach. Look, you've got a circumstance right now in this country, for also around the world, but let's just talk about the United States. I mean, you know, the uh, mental health issues as a result of the pandemic uh, have, have skyrocketed uh, at levels of anxiety among people. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's too soon to tell, you know, the, the sort of really hardcore results uh, from a, you know, from, of, of the pandemic on, on, you know, unfortunately suicide and, and, and overdose and so on. But it, it, it's pretty much accepted that these are on their ways up. They're, they're, they're higher as a result of the, the pandemic. So 
you know, to tie in the emotions uh, or to seek out the emotions among their customers uh, for how, you know, their, how the experience is from an emotional standpoint. I, I mean, I, I think there's, there's so much, it, it, we have so much, we're, there's so much pent up these days. It, would, it seems like it's a, it's a reasonable thing to say, you know, are we amplifying the anxiety that is in, uh, you know, American society today um, through our, you know, expression of financial state and so on? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that I think banks are conscious of. And a lot of what I heard was, you know, we want this to be the opposite of uh, anxiety inducing. We want you to open the app and um, feel like you have control of your finances and not just have it be a stressful experience. So um, yeah, I think that given your, the, this, the mental health crisis that's emerging from the coronavirus vaccine is, is of course very serious. And I think it's something that banks are doing their best through their US, UX experience to, um, to they're trying to make those, those um, banking experiences less intimidating and not add to the stress that, you know, Americans are already facing, that they don't need more of it when they open their banking app. I guess the question is kind of like, to what degree can, can that, can it be impactful or meaningful? Like, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You're, you know, you're, I don't know whether, what opinions you have on this, but uh, I, I just wonder, I mean, can, you know, to what degree can they mod modulate the anxiety of, you know, how many millions of people are unemployed in the United States today? Yeah, I don't uh, think they can, you know, uh, nullify that by any means. But um, I, I think it, it, probably the best course of action for banks would be through their services and through their products to mitigate anxiety, you know, deferrals on repayments and, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, low interest loans when customers need them and when they're in a pinch and you know, helping out small businesses that can't stay open. I, I think that's going to probably be more impactful than the UX of, a, of an app. Sure, sure, for sure. Um, so uh, next week, um, Bianca, what's uh, on the slate at Bank Innovation? Yeah, we're going to be taking a deep dive on some new technology and projects uh, coming out of TD and then also taking a look at uh, some new automation technologies as it relates to the identity uh, verification process and KYC. Great. Thank you. And thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, we really want to hear from you. So let us know how we're doing. Either rate the podcast or drop us a note. You can visit us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, and of course, uh, visit us uh, at bankinnovation.net where there's uh, just a whole ton of information for you on FinTech and banking technology. Thank you all uh, so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.